Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. The Dalai Lama has been doing a focusing focusing on a lot of research that has that has had to do with uh, meditation and brain function, nervous system function, and so. Um, there seems to have been a tradition of that kind of thing that has gone on for oh, decades. Back in the, in the 60s it started. And there's just more and more and more known about the brain and we have what's called neuroplasticity in the last 20 years, where the, the brain can actually change itself and <coughs> if part of the brain is damaged, it can take over, like another part of the brain can take over those functions. Um, if we learn something brand new, then a different part of the brain can, can develop connections that allow that experience. Um, I would like to read a little quote by the Dalai Lama. <clears throat> so this human life is a precious endowment, potent yet fragile. Simply by the virtue of being alive, you are very important, you are at a very important juncture and carry a great responsibility. You can achieve powerful good for yourself and others. So becoming distracted by the minor affairs of this lifetime would be a tremendous waste. Resolve to use this lifetime in the body effectively urging yourself on from the inside and seeking whatever assistance there is from the outside. You should use your fleeting life for your benefit and that of others. Physical happiness is just an occasional balance of elements in the body, not a deep harmony. Recognize the temporary for what it is. Do not assume that there will be time later. I found that fairly powerful. Okay, so um, there's a lot of things that, that happen to us in our lives um, that sort of indicate where all this comes from. When, when I was four, uh, my parents decided I should go to Sunday school and I hated it because the Sunday school teacher treated us like little kids. <laughs> and so I did everything in my tiny power to not go. So I'd lose a shoe, <laughs> I'd spill my breakfast on my shirt, um, and, and the, the final straw was that my parents were about to leave the church and I was supposed to go to Sunday school and my mother found me sitting in a mud puddle. <laughs> and she, she blew up. <laughs> it's very unhappy. And after she'd calmed down, I said, if I can go to church with you and sit with you in church, I'll be very good, I promise. Right? I'll, I won't make a fuss. I'll listen, I'll pay attention. And I won't, I won't 
get in puddles anymore. And so, you know, reluctantly they agreed to try that once because they didn't think that would happen because they knew me. <laughs> but I went to church and I sat very quietly for the whole thing, you know, just stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down and sing hymns and do all that stuff. And I did all that. And, and the minister's name was Reverend Love, which was kind of cool. <laughs> and he told a story in his sermon about a farmer who plowed his fields with a mule. And in the middle of the spring plowing, getting ready for planting, his mule died. Not because of mistreatment, but because of old age. And so the farmer was in a bit of a panic. and. and called around and talked to all his friends to find out if anybody had a mule for sale or even one that he could borrow. And he, he finally heard that there was a man in another county that had a mule for sale and it was a young mule and healthy and so he got in touch with the fellow and they talked and he, the, the farmer was very concerned because of the time that had been lost but also he just didn't have the time in his life. He didn't want a balky mule. In other words, a stubborn mule. And so the, the other fellow said, never had a problem with him, he does everything I want. You know, um, but I don't need him anymore, that's, that's all. So the farmer flipped over to his place and paid the guy and said, just want to make sure it's not a balky mule. I said, no, not at all. So the farmer loaded him onto his trailer and took him back home and got him out of the trailer, harnessed him up, ready to go to the field, and the mule wouldn't move. <laughs> and he pushed and pulled and, and offered carrots and did the whole thing. And he was very upset because the farmer had sold him a balky mule. So he goes back to the other fellow's place and is really angry and is shouting that you know, he lied and he was a liar and all that stuff. And finally, when he calmed down a bit, the other farmer rubbed his neck and said, I don't understand. He's done everything I've ever wanted him to do. Why don't we go over to your place and I'll see if I can find out what the problem is. So they went back to the first farmer's place and there was the mule still standing in the yard where he'd been left. And his previous owner looked around and went over by the barn and picked up a two-by-four and came back and whacked the mule really hard over the head. And the, the farmer that just bought him said, what are you doing? You're going to kill my mule. And the other guy said, no, no, no. Uh, you just have to get his attention first. And it took me a long time to figure out that I think I was the mule. <laughs> um, I've had a lot of two-by-fours over the years um, in all kinds of different forms. And a lot of it has brought me to questioning you know, what I'm about, what life is about, what the universe is about. And of late, the last few months, I've been really thinking about the idea of consciousness and the field state. And all the research that's been done has been focusing on what the brain does. 
right? What, what the neurons do, how they connect, and, and how that gives us our experience. But what if, what if they're looking at the wrong thing? What if it isn't what the neurons are doing, but how the neurons are distorting the field state? And it's the distortion of the field state, the electromagnetic field, that actually causes experience. Which means, for me anyway, that the potential is that the electromagnetic field is our consciousness. And Quirks and Quarks yesterday had a little story on zapping the brain. And uh, at the University of Boston, they're doing research on using brain stimulation, microcurrent brain stimulation, to enhance learning, uh, to make memory more specific and more accurate, uh, to, to increase creativity, and actually en enhance sports performance. And they're also using it, if they, if they increase it too much, it can dampen down the ability to learn in cognitive functions. Right? So don't do this at home. <laughs> uh, their, their equipment is really sophisticated, apparently. But, but the idea is that if, if what the neurons in the brain do is cause turbulence or distortion in the field, and the, the field is defined as the, the level of least excitation of the universe, and it's infinite. And all the excitation is that field becoming active. So every thought, every, every sensation, every experience that we have is the field being enlivened by activity, and it's activity in the brain. And if you think about it, Every, every current of electricity causes a distortion in the field, and you can see it, you can measure it. I don't know whether you've ever had a radio that you've walked near and, and it goes, the station goes static. Um, I, I gave up cable a long time ago, and I have little aerials. And if I stand in a certain place, I can disrupt the signal. Or if I'm having trouble getting a station that, that is coming in uh, with a lot of static, I'll put my hand up and move it around, and then I'll have to sit here if I want to watch that program. <laughs> <laughs> right. but, but it clears it. So why would that happen unless, unless we're, we're interfering with the field? Unless we're interfering with the, the vibrations? And everything, everything is vibrating around us. We are, we are being saturated by microwaves, by, by you know, all, all the different kinds of, of waves from the cell towers and, and everything. Radio waves, our television programs are actually going right through us all the time. We just, our nervous systems aren't tuned to picking up that information. So, if, if it's the distortion of the field that things are, then we can look at how we do that. Instead of 
like looking at what, what neurons are doing what, we can look at the totality and how we're interactive with the totality. There's, um, in, in indigenous communities all over the world, Forever, they have talked about, you know, rivers and lakes and oceans having spirits of their own, trees having spirits, the animals all having spirits. And if you think about all the things that create a disturbance in the field, a distortion in the field, it's everything. Every cell in our bodies has an electrical potential, not just the neurons in the brain. Plants, it can be measured, they have electrical potential in their cells. An atom is basically, fundamentally, a a proton and an electron, and and they have an electrical charge. One of the the most dramatic things uh, is lightning, lightning storms. What is that? Right? The whole planet is surrounded by an atmosphere with water vapor in it that freezes and it moves and develops a charge. And they say there's something like a trillion lightning bolts every day around the world. That's a lot of activity. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and our neurons, I mean, we have a brain with, with a trillion cells. Those neurons are creating really, really complex distortions in the field. So to be able to, to think the thoughts and say the words that I'm saying, right? there has to be a lot of activity going on, to under, even for me to understand what I'm thinking, which is difficulty times. But, but the idea is that that intense activity that we carry around and identify with all day long is happening on a planetary level. And, and it's occurred to me before, I think I've said it before, you know, do you think that each individual neurons knows what we think, or how we feel, what we want to do, our intentions? Maybe, but probably not. And if we're like the neuron as part of a planetary reality, do we know what the planet's thinking? Do we know what the planet's experiencing? If every living entity is part of that, well, actually, even rocks and crystals, a crystal is something called a piezoelectric effect. If you put pressure on a, on a quartz crystal, it generates electricity. I mean, all your computers and, and cell phones and everything. Oh, taking pictures. <laughs> <laughs> everything like that is, is happening because of quartz crystal. And now, the latest research that's being done is using, instead of the, the silicon chips, using DNA for... for computers, computer memory, and programming, and apparently it's, it's vastly superior, it can hold huge amounts more 
because a molecule is made up of atoms and DNA is interactive atoms, interactive molecules. And so if that can be tuned to what we want, and they've discovered ways of doing it, then who knows where it's going. And then, and then there's, there's artificial intelligence, right? Uh, the, the so-called deep learning that happens, where computers are actually learning to think for themselves and be reactive spontaneously and uniquely to, to situations like, like Siri or the other, the other app, apps that, that uh, you can talk to, have, have them wake you at a certain time in the morning and so forth, or tell you where the nearest Japanese restaurant is. Right. All of that is the evolution of, of thought, mind, in consciousness. So we have a planet that is just so sophisticated. I mean, compared to, to our kind of things, there's so much happening on the planet in terms of electrical disturbance, distortion of the field. And if, if the field is consciousness, then, then what? Then, then what is actually going on? And in, in the Prajnaparamita Sutra, the, the core idea is form is emptiness and emptiness is form. Right? If, if what we experience as things is simply distortion in the field, the field, there's nothing. Right? There's nothing, in, there's no form in the field. Atoms, subatomic particles, are not substance. They're simply foci of energy. And if, if we can relate to that, if we can understand what, what the Prajnaparamita Sutta is about, that's what we're doing here. Right? And our possibility is that we can actually get to experience the field directly. Mm. Our nervous system seems to be so complex and sophisticated that we can actually experience formlessness in form. Uh, sanyata is emptiness in Sanskrit, or sanya is emptiness in Sanskrit. And, and that's one of the realities. But we're so caught up in our day-to-day -day mm -hmm. thoughts and feelings and relationships and, and responsibilities that we're focused on the surface, like the research, looking at what the neurons are actually doing rather than looking at how they distort the field. So, for us, and I mean all this from my part is hypothesis, okay? So I, there's been no studies done or anything like that that I know of about this, this idea of consciousness being the field, and especially the electromagnetic field, because it seems that that's where everything is happening. Right? So if we're a meditator, I mean, why, why do people meditate? Uh, 
they want to be better athletes, they want to get rid of stress, they want to deal with the relationships or not get overwhelmed by the relationships as much as they usually do. Um, there, there are lots of reasons for meditating, as well as becoming more creative, becoming more dynamic, becoming uh, more centered, becoming more aware of awareness itself, Buddha nature. And if Buddha nature is the field, the infinite potential of anything that can be experienced, then every time we meditate, we're attuning more and more and more to that level of what we are. And so, we have a choice. If we can, if we can go deeper inside, get out of this tiny world that we live in, in our minds, if we can do that, then we can be more supportive to all the other reality that surrounds us, that is the planet, the planet consciousness. Right. If you think about all the people in power in, in all the countries, basically, um, there are a lot of them that are so caught up in their individual little realms of power and control that they're causing huge suffering. Uh, not, not just to other people, but to the animals and to the whole environment. And it's our choice, if we can see that, to actually go deeper and, and be a support for everything else that exists.